Before we go any further, there's something that's really bothering me. There's three empty rows right here, and Hazel and Di have got no friends at the moment, and they need friends. So come on, fill this space. Look at that, yeah, get out of those chairs, come on down. I see, that's right, look at that. That's feeling a lot better already. Feel the love, that's right, there's still room. All right. We good? How is everyone? Good? Good, good. Well, this morning, before I get into my message, um, it's the first Sunday of the month. The first Sunday of the month means that I give you, the church, and us, the church, an update on our Count Me In giving. At the beginning of the year, or in February, we had Count Me In Sunday. Our next Count Me In Sunday is in June. But just a monthly update to say, hey, this is how we're going. The start of the year, we set about all of our projects and goals. We talked about giving towards our foundation, which is real care. It's the community centre, which is our building. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday, Penny came into my office and she said, Lottie, the church is full of people and it's a Wednesday through the week. And I was like, yes, this is amazing because this is what the church is here for. So that's our vision to see this place be a hub for our community, for all many different people. There were people coming and having interviews to become pastors within our movement. There were people learning English. There were people setting up for a conference. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And it was full of people. And there was the welcome place. And that is our vision for this building, that it would be a hub for our our community. And so really when we give to Count Me In, we are giving to that vision. We are giving to Real Care. We are giving to projects like Liberty. We're giving to Youth Alive. We're giving to Gangala, which is the uh, work that Willie Dumas does in reaching the Indigenous Australians, both here in New South Wales, but also in Arnhem Land. By the way, if anyone is interested in coming to Arnhem Land in July, you need to speak to me really soon because we are about to have the cutoff for that. It also gives to places like India. To, I said Youth Alive locally. Again, India, if you want to come in September, come and see me. They're all of our Count Me In projects. And at the beginning of the year, we said our giving goal for 2018 is $125,000. If we could give $125,000, we'll be able to do above and beyond all of the projects that we've set out to do. And so every month, I give you an update. And I can tell you that after the first four months of this year, we have given as a church $23,038.64. You cannot forget this. Yes, you can give yourself a clap. So we're on track, we're heading towards it, and we're asking you that if you are not contributing to Count Me In Giving, to our foundation giving, and this is your church home, that you would consider start giving. Whatever it is, big or small, that you would just play your part in saying, yeah, we as a church community can do that. We can influence those people, we can help those people, we can sow into that vision as a church. As on our own, I know you, but I can't give $125,000. But together this year, I believe that we can. And so we're going to keep pressing towards that goal. And every month, I'll let you know how we are going. Very good. All right, this morning, we're continuing our series called She Taught Me. We've been looking, when I've been preaching, at a series just called She Taught Me. It's women in the Bible that teach us something. Women in the Bible that did something, that said something, that lived their life in a way that can teach us, encourage us, challenge us. We started with Ruth. Last week we did Esther, and today we're moving on to a girl called Hannah. And the message today is called this, Is She Drunk? 
And I'm not talking about getting loose with the bottle this morning. I'll say that for another time. Today is a message that you will find out why the title, Is She Drunk? But the heart of this message is that there'd be something from Hannah's life that would inspire you, encourage you, challenge you, and speak to you. And so let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to start reading from there. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of that guy, son of that guy, son of that guy, son of that guy of Ephraim. He had two wives, Hannah and Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Let's go to verse 6. Penaniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Verse 7, year after year, it was the same. Penaniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Verse 8, why are you crying, Hannah? Eleanor would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Pause. (laughs) Hannah's response to this question is not recorded in the Bible. (laughs) And I am no expert, but I am pretty sure that is not what you say to your wife when she is deeply upset about anything, especially something so sensitive as this. To say, don't worry about it, you've got me. It would be like me next Mother's Day, next Sunday in the morning, getting up and saying to Loz, we didn't get you anything because you've got us. (laughs) What more do you need? Who knows that would not go down well. I think this is probably one of the silliest questions recorded in the Bible. To say this to this woman at this time, to say to Hannah, because the truth is, that Hannah is deeply upset about this situation. And we can laugh at her husband's attempt to soothe her and to comfort her. But it is a deeply distressing, upsetting situation. Not only does she have her own disappointment, her own grief, her own anguish at not being able to have any children, she also has Penaniah taunting and teasing her about the situation. One writer described Hannah's situation in this way. He said, Hannah longed for a son out of her own womb to love and to hold. As the years went by, her agony became more intense and her barrenness was a greater burden because of the jealousy and heartlessness of her rival, Penaniah, who frequently tantalized Hannah for being childless. Hannah carried a great pain in her heart because of this. And I'm aware that in a room this size, there will be people here that can relate to this pain. There will be people here that have been through the anguish, that have been through or maybe are in it right now, of what I'm talking about right in this situation. You can relate to Hannah because you have lived what Hannah has lived. And it may not be that exact specific situation. It may not be wanting to have a child or not being able to have a child, but there might be another deep hurt There might be another great deep anguish within your heart, within your soul. 
a broken relationship, something that's happened in life and you would love to be able to move on from it, but that anguish and that pain and that hurt is real. And I do not want to dismiss it and and just think lightly of it. I acknowledge it this morning and I, I want to be able to be there in your pain this morning. See, I believe as a church community, my heart is that you would feel safe and supported here, no matter what your hurt, no matter what your anguish, no matter what your grief is in your life, that in this room, in this community, you would find support. Not teasing and taunting like Hannah was receiving, but you would find love, encouragement, support. You would find the community that you need to walk with you through that grief that you are carrying. I actually believe that that's one of the mandates of the church of the local body of Christ, that we walk together through the situations and the seasons of life. Romans 12 in the Amplified Bible in verse 15 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. In brackets, we sharing others' joy. And then it says, and weep with those who weep. That means sharing others' grief. To share with them. Who knows what you do when you share something? You take some of it and make it your own. You carry it together. Yes, you celebrate the joy together, but you also share the grief together. And I actually believe that's what church community is about, where we share the highs and we share the lows, where we say, you don't have to go through this on your own. There are people here that want to walk with you through this. We don't have to pretend it's not there, but we can say, hey, we want to walk with you. We may not fully understand it, but we are there for you. And my heart and my prayer is that you would find that in this church, that you would find that in this community. See, Hannah didn't have it. She had someone teasing her, taunting her, letting her know. The grief was already bad enough because she had it, but then she had someone else rubbing it in her face. Let's go see what happens next. Let's read from verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Verse 12, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a a wicked woman for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Notice the words used to describe Hannah as she prays. The words used to describe her says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed. Hannah even used these words to describe herself. She said, I am very discouraged. I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. She says this, I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. See, in her life, Hannah had great anguish and she had great sorrow and her prayers were no different. To me, this shows an authentic prayer to God. 
an authentic prayer. She was going through anguish. She was going through sorrow. She was going through a really, really hard time. And her prayers reflected this. She didn't pray prayers that hid from reality. She didn't put on a different persona. She didn't pretend it wasn't real. She was authentic and raw before God. And I think that's something that we could admire in Hannah, that she didn't try and pretty it up. She didn't put on a prayer persona. You know, as a teenager growing up in church, I used to laugh, and sometimes I still do, I'll be honest, at how people's voices and accents and words would change from when they were talking to you to when they started praying. All of a sudden, they started to word, use words like thou and oh and all these church words that they didn't use in their normal vocabulary. They would put on a church voice or a prayer voice when they started to pray. And they could be going through the most hardest thing, the most distressing thing, but they would put on this big religious spiritual voice. And it's like, what is that? Why have they changed to start talking to God? Why have they decided that they need to not come as they are in their anguish and their sorrow? Why do they need to put on this thing to pretend to be something that they're not to start praying? I think Hannah gives us a great revelation of what true prayer is, where you come to God as you are, in your rawness, in your anguish, in your sorrow. The thing Hannah says, which is the lesson for all of us, is this, I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. And yes, if your heart's full of joy, then be joyful. But if your heart's full of anguish, then let God know, because He already knows. He already knows exactly as you are, so He doesn't want you to pretend. He doesn't want you to put on a prayer voice. He just wants you to speak to him like you are. And the thing I love about Hannah is that she was in anguish, so her prayers were full of anguish. She was authentic and raw and real. And I don't believe that God wants us to pretend when he comes to him. He doesn't want us to wait until our anguish and grief is gone before we come to him, but he wants us to come to him in our anguish and in our grief as we are. Now, I'm not saying, and we'll get to other parts of prayer in a minute, that we have to all be negative all the time and we can't have faith when we pray. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying let's be authentic. Let's be real when we pray. You know, praying is just using the voice and the language that we already have to talk to God. I was at the service station yesterday getting my gas bottle filled up and I was met this young Indian guy at the service station and because I was born in India and whenever I meet an Indian, Loz will tell you, it always ends in a conversation. And I met Amit and I'm talking to Amit and he tell me about his day and he was late to work and he goes, oh, I've been at the chiropractor because I've had chronic sciatic back pain. All right, Amit, can I pray for you, mate? And I didn't say, oh, Amit, may I pray for you right now? Oh, holy God, I'm going to call upon heaven and the fire of heaven. I just said, mate, can I pray for you? He goes, yeah, sure. He goes, I believe in God. I go, oh, that's cool. What do you believe in? He goes, oh, I'm a Hindu. I go, great, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But Jesus wants to heal you, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And we just prayed. And guess what? Amit didn't know that I'd started to pray because I was just using the same words and the same language that I had been in conversation. But I just said, hey, I'm a praying now. And I'm not saying that you can't use words like, oh, Father. And you know how some people start every prayer or every line of their prayer with Heavenly Father? Or what's the other one? Uh, Father God, that, that's okay. I'm, I'm not saying you can't do that. But I'm just saying that prayer can be a natural, just flowing out of how you talk to your friends, how you talk to Amit at the service station, how you talk. If you're going through stuff in life, let it just be authentic and real and not as put on voice. Now, I'd, Amit is still probably, I don't know, he didn't fall to the ground and have this moment. And I'm believing that he'll be prayed. But you know what? When I left, 
I was going in the car to leave and he ran up to the thing and he knocked on my window. Okay, put the window goes, what's your name? Because I'd asked his name, but he hadn't asked my name. It was a bit rude of me to wait that long. He said, Lottie, goes, oh, do you come around here? I go, yeah, I live five minutes away. You'll see me around. He's here for the next few years, starting at university. I said, I'll see you next time I meet. Just trying to build relationship with him. Just trying to say, hey, I can pray for you. Pray for your studies. Pray for your back. Just natural, conversational prayer. And if you're going through hard stuff, then bring that hard stuff to God. If things are going great, then bring that to God. But just have a conversation. Let it be natural. Let it be real. Let it be authentic. And let it be raw. The Bible tells us over and over again that we don't need to get our stuff together before we come to God. But we can come to Him as we are in our realness. Psalm 55.22, the NASB version, which is Bruce Robbo's favorite version, says this. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. At the beginning of 2008, the year that I felt God gave us as a church was that word unshakable. And here again, we see the promise of God that those who bring their burdens, their concerns to God will be sustained. And he promises that you will be unshaken. You will not be shaken when you bring that stuff to God. You don't need to hide, but you can bring it to him. The New Testament 1 Peter 5, 7, the Amplified says this, Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on Him. For He cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Does anyone have any anxieties, any worries, any concerns, any burdens? The Bible tells us over and over again, that we need to bring that stuff to God. We don't need to hide it. We don't need to pretend it's not there, but we can authentically bring it to Him. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we have someone who cares for you deeply, who wants to bring you, who wants you to bring whatever it is that you are going through to Him. Hannah knew that no matter how great her grief was, God could handle it. She didn't have to water it down or put a positive spin on it. She could pour out the anguish in her heart to God. And that's what she was doing. But there's more to Hannah's prayer that I believe we can learn from. The first thing I hope you get from Hannah's prayer is be real. Be authentic. Don't be fake when you pray. Just be the real you. But she did more than just pour out her anguish and sorrow. She actually demonstrates to me in her prayer in her words, that she believed God could do something to change her current reality. See, she makes this vow to God. She says this, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Lucy, that's the first man bun recorded in the Bible, Lucy doesn't like man buns. If you have a man bun, sorry, but Lucy doesn't like them. Sorry about that. Anyway, anyway, Hannah knows the only way her current reality is going to change is if God does something. She knows that naturally speaking, she has tried, they have tried, and nothing has happened. And she knows the only way things are going to turn around is if God provides it. Because here, even though she is barren, she still believes. Even though she has not seen any results, she believes that God can give her a son. Imagine being Hannah for a minute. Year after year, 
returning to this place, returning to the tabernacle where they would go to pray. Do you think she's prayed about this before? Do you think this is the first time she's brought this up to God? No, I believe she's been praying it year after year after year. She's going, she's praying, she's asking for something. But then in her ear, she's got someone saying, it'll never happen. You're hopeless. This is God punishing you. You are barren. It's never going to happen. Give up. But year after year, she's going through that process again of coming to the tabernacle and praying and saying, God, I want a son. I'm crying out for a son. And she's got negativity in her ear. But she goes, you know what? I still believe that God can do it. I still believe that God and only God can provide what I'm crying out for. She promises God that, God, if you answer my prayer for a son, I will give him back to you. I'm so desperate for a son that if, I, if you grant me that, that desire of my heart, that, God, he's going to be yours. The cry of my heart is to have a son. But if that cry is answered, I'm giving him back to you as a declaration as an acknowledgement that he has come from you. you know, I'm so desperate for a son, God, that I'll do anything. I'll give him back to you. He'll, he'll be yours. She's just made that declaration that this son is going to be acknowledged as being God's son, God's provision, God's answer to prayer. When all three of my kids were young, we had them dedicated in church. We had a dedication to, to speak over their lives. And the reason we did this is because to me, a child dedication is important because I acknowledge as a parent that kids are a gift from God most of the time, <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Talking about your brothers again. Remember that. Because <laughs> we acknowledge that they're a gift from God. We acknowledge that as a dad, as a parents, we don't own them. We are stewards of their lives. And a dedication, we ask God for help and wisdom to raise them. We dedicate their life to be used by God, that his plans and purposes for their life would be fulfilled. And to me, it's a powerful statement to make over a child's life. And it's an especially powerful statement to make amongst the church community that you are a part of. Because you are saying this child is from God. It's, it's his gift. And we acknowledge and we dedicate him to, to God. All three of my kids, we did that. All three of them, we had a verse spoken over them and prayers spoken over them because we know that they came from God. And, and Hannah makes this same declaration, saying, God, if you give me this son, he will be yours. I acknowledge that it can only come from you. Nothing I can do but only from you, and he will be yours for the, his entire life. Just by the way, if you're here at Real Life Church and you want to get your child dedicated, I'd love to be able to facilitate that for you. We would do it in the service because to me it's an important part of saying this child belongs to God and the church community witness it and are part of it and acknowledge it. So if, your kids, if you've got kids and you've never done it, well, I don't care if we have to do 50 at once. We'll just have a great dedication day. But come and speak to me if that's something you are interested in if you haven't dedicated your kids or one of your kids um, to God. Hannah is in no doubt. She's in no doubt that if God gives her a son, it'll be because God's made it possible. And if it happens, she promises to give her son back to God. Her prayers do not go unnoticed. Her prayers do not go unheard. Eli the priest thinks that she is drunk. He can see that her lips are moving, but he can't hear any sound coming out of her mouth. Maybe the anguish and the grief is so strong that it's a make, making her appear to be drunk. Have you ever, um, I don't know if you've done this, have you ever cried or been so upset at something and you try and speak and your, your lips move but 
words don't come out. It happens every time I watch The Notebook. <laughs> Not. Never watch that filthy movie again. But have you ever been to that point where what's in here can't come out there? There's anguish, there's grief, there's sorrow, there's so much going on. I think that is what's going on for Hannah here. Maybe the words are coming out, but they're so faint, they're so a whisper that Eli can't hear it. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we do know that Eli thinks she's drunk. For Hannah, the prayer didn't need to be vocal for God to hear it. Whether she said it or not, to me, is irrelevant. Prayer is the Christian native's breath, unuttered or expressed. While she may never have said a prayer, she breathed a desire in her soul, and it sent up unspoken right to the throne of God. Whether she spoke it or not, the amazing thing about God is that he hears our cries and our shouts, but he also hears our whispers and our whimpers. And he even hears the words we can't get from our heart to our mouth. He even promises to help you and I to pray. Romans 8.26 In the same way the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not, not, we do not know what prayer to offer and how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. That is what we have helping us to pray. You do not need to know the script. You do not need to know the words, what to say. You just need to pour out your heart to God like Hannah did. Whether Hannah got her words out or not doesn't matter because the prayer was heard. And after she explains what's going on to Eli, she says, hey, I'm not drunk. I'm just deeply dis discouraged. I'm just going through some stuff right now. Eli says to her these great words of encouragement. He says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Hannah leaves and something is different. She says, oh, thank you, sir. She went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad. She's thankful to Eli and she starts to eat again. To me, this is the complete opposite to when she went to the tabernacle that day. She went in distressed, deeply anguished, sad, full of sorrow, and she walks out happy and eating again. Something has changed. Something is different. You need to know, though, that physically and externally, nothing has changed. She's still barren. She still doesn't have kids. She's probably still got Penaniah saying, you're hopeless, it'll never happen, God will never answer your prayers. Nothing physically, nothing on the outside has changed, but something within Hannah has changed. Something within her has changed because she's no longer full of sorrow, she's no longer full of anguish, but she has peace. Eli said to her, go in peace, and I believe she actually walked away from that place in peace. She has a glimmer of hope within her heart. Where there had been anguish and sorrow, there's this hope and she's holding on to it. And that hope that she holds on to, she leaves that place. No longer sad, but holding on that God, maybe, even if it's just that little glimmer of hope within her heart, that's something for her to change. And she walks out different. She walks out changed. Verse 19, we read what happens next. The entire family got up early the next morning went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. I love those words, in due time. 
God's timing is perfect. You know, Phil Pringle says this thing that God takes a long time to act suddenly. And we wait and we wait and wait. Then all of a sudden he does it and shows up. And we're like, oh, that happened quick. Because his timing is perfect. It's never on our schedule, but it's on his schedule. And his timing is always perfect. And that's where the trust journey comes in. In due time, she gave birth to a son. Imagine the joy in that household. Imagine the joy in Hannah's heart when all those years of anguish, all those years of sorrow, all those tears that she cried, all those words of negativity that she listened to, all of a sudden she now has a son to say, God, you heard my plea, you answered my prayer. She can't, you can't imagine the joy. And even though she's full of joy and even though she's full of gratitude to God, she still remembers the vow that she made. She still remembers the promise that she made to God. She said, God, if you give me a son, he will be yours. And I'm sure this cost her greatly to do it, but she honors the vow. She remembers the promise she made to God. We read in verse 24, when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he granted my request. And now I am giving him to the Lord. He will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. If you know the story of Samuel, you can read that Samuel served Eli in the the tabernacle. Samuel served faithfully. He learnt to hear the voice of God. He had that famous encounter where he thought Eli was calling out to him in the night, but it was God calling out to him because he learnt to hear the voice of God in the tabernacle, in the temple. He went on to be the voice of God in that nation, to lead that nation, to be the man of God for an entire nation. This boy that was cried out for, that was pleaded for, this boy was given back to God. His life was devoted to serving God and he served his nation and served God for the entire days of his life. He was the the man that anointed King Saul and King David over king of the nation. He went on to be a life of influence. And Hannah gave her son back to God. Her son devoted his life to serving God. And I'm sure this came at a cost, but she was prepared to pay it as her way of saying, thank you, God. Thank you for hearing the cry of my heart. Thank you for granting my request, that plea. Thank you, God. By the way, you can read a bit later on that Hannah, who had been barren all those years, she had three sons and two daughters. She cried out for one son and God gave her five, or three and then two. Her story really had been turned around. Her grief and her anguish had turned to happiness and to joy and thankfulness to God. David in the Bible experienced something similar when he wrote this. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Can the creative team come? Hannah was not silent. She was not silent in her anguish. And she was not silent in her thanks. She was not silent. She didn't hold in her heart but she brought it out to God. She poured out her heart to God. When she was full of anguish and sorrow, she poured it out to him. And then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a whole part of it. We we won't read it all for time. But it's a prayer. It's a song that Hannah wrote to say thank you to God. See, she was vocal in her anguish and her cry out for help. 
but now she's vocal in her praise and her gratitude and her thank to God. Let me read you just the first two verses. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Can you see the transformation in her life? Can you see the change? I love that the whole thing, though, is authentic. The whole thing, though, is real. When she was down and when she was depressed and she was in sorrow, she poured that out to God. When God answered her prayer and gave her the son that she'd been crying out for, she praised him with all of her heart. She declared his goodness with all of her heart. She held nothing back. She poured out her heart to God. And to me, that's the greatest lesson that Hannah teaches us. This series is called She Taught Me. What did Hannah teach me? She taught me that to pour out what's in here to God, to hold nothing back from Him, to share my good days, to share my bad days, to share the highs, to share the lows, to just pour out my life to Him because He already knows it. Let's be an authentic, honest people with God. Today I want to finish by giving you an opportunity to do just that. The team are going to lead us in that new song, Do It Again. We're going to do it again right now. And we're going to sing. And what I want us to do is I want us to be real. I want us to be authentic. I want us to be raw. If there's anguish, if there's sorrow, if there's grief, then let's let God know. If words come out, great. If they don't, He knows. But let's open up our heart. If there's gratitude, if there's joy, if there's thankfulness, then don't leave those words unsaid either. But let's be a church that can pour out our heart before God in good times and in bad times. I'm going to ask us all to stand right now. While we sing this song, I'm going to open up the front. You know, Hannah did not care what people thought. It's pretty obvious. When she was having her moment of pouring her heart out for God, she appeared drunk. Have you ever noticed that drunk people are very unaware of what's going on around them? This moment in this song, I want you to be like a drunk. Not a drunk, someone who is drunk. Unaware of the people next to you. Only aware of a God in heaven who loves you, who is for you, who hears the cries of your heart, who desperately longs to be in relationship with you, desperately longs for an authentic, real pouring out of your heart to God. If you've got great need in your life, now is the time to call upon God to hear that cry. You may have cried it a hundred times before, but cried again. If God has answered a prayer, now is the time to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer. Now is the time to be real and authentic and honest with God. Let's sing this song. If you need to come and stand, come and stand down the front right now as a surrender to God and saying, God, I surrender to you. Let's sing this song. Let's open up our hearts and our lives to God. Thank you, team.